Hello, everyone. This is Sherry Rice. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local guests on a variety of topics of interest to you and your family. Today, we continue our discussion on our mental health with our guest, Nora Ann Brooklocker, local licensed marriage and family therapist with Sierra Sunrise Wellness. And today's topic, seeking mental health therapy. In other words, how to choose a therapist. Welcome, Noran. Hi. Thank you again for having me. Well, this is a fabulous topic because we, you and I have done quite a few together, and there's a few where we've said, uh, you know, that going into therapy might help, that uh, being able to see a clinician, a mental health clinician, marriage and family therapist, psychologist, someone that um, can help in your relationship or help somebody personally, and so it seemed appropriate that you and I move on to the topic of choosing a therapist. Um, seemed really appropriate. And for many people, seeking mental health, um, a mental health professional is something other people do, not them. Uh, it's something to keep secret or to be embarrassed about. Have you, have you found that? I think we've come a long way with that, but I think there's still that stigma. Oh, there certainly is. There's certainly is. Um, Admitting that one is having a hard time can sometimes be met with a tremendous amount of resistance uh, from others in one's life. Like, well, why do you need to talk to somebody? You have me. Um, But there are certain things that can be really difficult to talk about with one's family members or friends, and they aren't necessarily qualified uh, when it comes to giving certain levels of um, advice, if you will. So they mean well. They absolutely mean well. But let me give you an example. Um, So when somebody is feeling suicidal, a lot of times friends and family members don't know entirely how to handle that situation. Mm -hmm. It might be that, again, they're very well-meaning of like, oh, you'll get over it. It'll be fine. Mm, those are words that can be really, really tremendously difficult to hear from mm-hmm. somebody who is struggling so mm-hmm. big. Right. And and seeking out a mental health professional, um, I think that more and more people are doing that, don't you think? I mean, you're a marriage and family therapist. I think that more and more people are seeking out help for a variety of relationship issues. Do you find that? Yes, yes. Um, I think that this year especially, again, I've said previously that I'm seeing some of the highest numbers that I've ever seen in my entire career. Um, But I I also gave you a previous statistic, and that was along the lines that people, um, as of right now, are coming forward and saying, I'm having a really, really difficult time, more so than perhaps they've had ever previously. Um, and so when it comes to admitting that I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, I think, again, we, we t- tend to focus more so on the physical health. You know, it's interesting to to see where people will more often than not say, yeah, I'm having a physical health issue. But when it comes to an emotional health issue, it's so much more vulnerable. And in truth, the two can really go hand in hand. I want to give you an analogy as well, though, uh, that I really like to utilize with my clients. And that's what um, I refer to as the infection of the wound. 
So when you have an infected wound, what do you have to do? You have to clean it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God, it's a quiz. Can I? That was good. You know, I probably put some of my own clients on the spot on that one. (laughs) That was good. I was thinking, oh, my God, is she asking me? (laughs) That was great. That was great. So when we have this infection, we have to clean it. And it can be just immensely painful, right? But if we don't, then what? Then in all likelihood, um, it it gets worse, right? You can have the potential to lose a limb, i.e. a part of ourselves. Um, We might see other losses such as relationships or job loss. Um, But in worst case scenarios, it very well might mean death, right? So when it comes to an infection, it has to get attended to. Um, And when it comes to addressing that infection from an an emotional or mental health perspective, again, it's it's very vulnerable. It can hurt a great deal to uh, put to words some things that some people might have never even said out loud to another human being. Um, But in addition to that, once we've worked on the infection and there's been a cleaning up of it, if you will, um, that's when the body can truly heal. So if you think of an actual wound here, what can happen is that it might scab over, meaning that it still can be a little itchy, a little uncomfortable. <laughs> um, it might very well might still be easily reopened, but in time, it becomes a scar. So it doesn't hurt the same as it once did, and it um, is stronger skin than what was there before. So you see it, you know that it happened, but it just doesn't have the same level of pain that it once did. Well, you mentioned quite a few podcasts before, and I'm not quite sure how you said it, that we look at our physical health and we go for a checkup, but we should also be conscious of our mental health. And I think that the word mental health has so many connotations, and for some people it means crazy or something other than than everyday sort of issues, Um, but checking in on one's own mental health would be as important as checking in on your physical. Right. Right. You're not deficient or defective if you're having a hard time. Yeah. I, I think that a lot of people correlate that it has to be really, really bad in order for you to to get that sort of help. But in fact, I think that that a lot of times is uh, meaning that it, it might be so far along that there is a lot of work to be done. Whereas if we attend to it, let's say, again, like a, a car, for example, if you start hearing a little clunk, go in immediately versus, uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> and well, you end up on stand on the side of the road. Let's talk about the variety of mental health professionals Uh, Of course, there's a psychiatrist, and why would someone see a psychiatrist? I mean, what would be um, the reasons to see a psychiatrist? So uh, a psychiatrist is a medical doctor who has attended medical school, um, and they usually specialize in patient assessment and medication management. Um, So they will get a thorough assessment of the mental health history, Um, But typically, they're treating primarily to ensure that medications prescribed are what are best fit to the presentation. They'll do follow-up appointments to make adjustments and assess the patient's response. 
um, until they dial in and what specifically is best suited for that person. Unfortunately, it can be a little bit of a difficult process to really identify what works best with somebody's body chemistry. Um, it can be a little different from one person to the next, whether it's dosage or it's, again, the, the right uh, medication for them. So uh, they have that medical background and training to ensure the best well-being of that person in that capacity. Understand. What about a psychologist? So a psychologist is somebody who, again, is doctorate level, um, specializing in the field of psychology. Usually they have a very particular emphasis or population that they specialize in. They might do some psychotherapy, um, but there's also a lot of times psychological assessments and psychological testing that they have the background and qualifications to do. Um, some of them might be researchers. So again, some of them might be clinicians and some of them might prefer primarily just doing testing. Hmm, understandable. And then marriage and family therapist. Right. So this is my level. I'm a master's level clinician. Um, and I am a psychotherapist. Um, so even though it's a marriage and family therapist, I actually do predominantly see individuals. <laughs> There's a, a lot of times a little bit of confusion uh, for those who are neither married nor seeking familial-related support. Um, however, those issues might arise in conversation as we discuss the systems from which they are a part of. Um, and I do want to also say another category at this level, uh, so master's level clinician, would be a LCPC, um, clinical professional counselors. So Nevada has both, and sometimes the only real difference can be licensing board, excuse me, licensing boards depending on the state that one resides in. Um, and also, I will say that treatment of those with schizophrenia are out of our competence level. Um, so the MFT and the CPC board are one and the same in the state of Nevada. Um, and I do believe that they have fairly similar requirements for maintaining licensure and continued education requirements. Okay, so that leads us to talk about uh, what factors should someone consider when trying to decide what type of professional they need, psychiatrist, psychologist, uh, marriage and family therapist. Right. So many of these uh, professionals will often actually coordinate care on behalf of the patient. Uh, so you might seek therapy services first and later have a psychiatrist um, or psychiatric nurse that you integrate in for medication. Um, or it might be that you start there because you end up, uh, perhaps someone is suicidal and they end up in a psychiatric hospital setting um, and then later drop down into therapy. Uh, treatment and support. Mm. Um, and so it, it really kind of depends on um, how, how somebody is doing at that particular moment. Um, but if someone is simply seeking support, um, it will often kind of depend on your specific presenting issue um, in terms of who, who might be the best fit for you. So an example would be um, insurance might, might play a part. Um, mm. LCSWs are going to be a good fit for those who have Medicare mm -hmm. um, or psychologists, psychiatrists, et cetera. Um, or it might be that uh, there's a preferred style or approach. So there's a lot of different ways that somebody might need to zero in on who's going to be the best clinician for them. So what? How do we? How do we know that we're choosing the right therapist? Is it? And if they're qualified, is, can we um, interview a therapist over the phone? 
can we go in for a visit and interview them to see if it's a, a mesh of personalities? What's your suggestion on that? Well, first and foremost, I'll say that authentic connection is critical to the process. It is so extremely vulnerable to share and divulge um, what are, are often things that are just so deeply personal to each and every person. Um, and so I, I also want to just put a little caveat here that I always set a boundary right out uh, the gate in the very first session to be cautious of vulnerability hangovers. Um, that means sharing too much too quickly as that can sometimes lead to shut down and not wanting to go back <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because we need to have foundation for that rapport and connection when it comes to interviewing other therapists. Certainly, um, I would say that a lot of people will provide a free consultation um, via phone. Some of them might do so in person. I personally prefer that if somebody is going to come into the sanctuary of my office space and sit down and share that confidential information, I'd rather begin the paperwork process um, for their best benefit as well as mine in that there's there's some liability issues there. Um, but I would also say when it comes to um, choosing the right professional for us, there's um, a couple of very important resources that I'd like to share, and that's, say, goodtherapy.org or psychologytoday.com. Um, both of these resources offer profiles that allow for somebody to decide based on what is written, um, if they're going to connect, it also will show, you can filter results so you can see what insurance are, excuse me, what insurances are accepted, their hours of availability, if they have a sliding fee scale, um, age ranges that they see, and issues that they specifically treat. Well, that's great information. Can you give those two sites again, Nora? Right. So that is psychologytoday.com as well as goodtherapy.org. There are, of course, a number of sites, but these two uh, I vetted myself and am on uh, myself, but I know them to be really beneficial, and I also utilize them as a clinician to sometimes give referrals um, because it can help me identify who is going to be a best fit for somebody that might not be the best fit for me. That's great. Now, teletherapy, and I know that you um, switched to that modality or or started including more in your life that modality with the pandemic, which I think most therapists have. They're doing it uh, by computer. How has that been? So I'm really grateful that I was somewhat set up already to do teletherapy prior to COVID because it made it a little bit easier to transfer my entire um, practice online. Um, prior to COVID, a teletherapy was much more uh, utilized for rural populations. Um, but since COVID, uh, the accessibility has been a bit of a concern for some clients in that you do have to have some compatible device and internet connection. Uh, the technical difficulties can be difficult. <laughs> Um, it can really interrupt the flow and create some additional frustrations for those who are already trying to manage a great deal. Um, But with that said, I have personally refrained from going back into the office due to a number of factors. One would include I have a cloth couch, uh, so there would be struggles to clean it between clients, would need to put a plastic covering on it, we would have to have the plexiglass, 
And one of the biggest things is having masks in session because one of the things that I really enjoy doing is observing the meta expressions to see how those match up with congruency of content that's being shared, right? So mm-hmm. someone might say, yeah, I'm totally good, but mm, there's something not quite right in their expression. They don't mm-hmm. look good. Maybe, you know, there's there's just something very tense about their jaw or something along those lines. So um, somebody might say, yeah, I'm totally happy, but they're not smiling. <laughs> and that's not to say you have to smile in order to convey that you're happy. Um, I can certainly use tone of voice with that, too. Um, but those are the ways that telehealth is really wonderful. I've been able to um, be an essential worker, but also go upstairs and hug my children at the end of the day. And that for my own mental health has been really, really powerful. So, and how do your clients feel about the tele teletherapy? Um, you know, it really, again, it depends on the client. For some of them, it has worked extremely well in that um, they get to just really do it from the comfort of their own home. Um, for some of them, however, it has been a struggle, perhaps because they don't have the same level of privacy that they would at my office. You know, being in person has definitely has its advantages and um, in ideal case scenario that would be my preference as well mm-hmm. um, so there there definitely has been some struggle for them as well as myself um, one of the hardest populations I would say uh, I do a lot of play therapy work with children and that has drastically changed yeah. um, it's so much harder to engage little ones for sessions via telehealth and while we both have certainly tried to make adaptations, um, it, it still has been a struggle for the quality of care in terms of the level of play that we're able to, to do and offer. And the reason why play therapy is so nice for little ones especially is that they don't yet necessarily have the cognitive capacity to do talk therapy. A lot of times they'll work through the issues that are presenting for them through their play. So the things they're struggling with, they might represent in a narrative that they're creating. And so that's one way that I can do intervention with them is describing to them not only the emotions that I'm observing, but can almost create intervention in the play itself. But that's just not really possible at this point yeah. in time. Yeah. But on the whole, I would say majority of my clients have not had an issue with transitioning to telehealth. And again, for, for many of them, they have in fact preferred it. Well, and I think telehealth is here to stay in some form or another even after the pandemic is over. Tell me about some of these therapy apps that um, that have come about, like Talkspace. Just a little bit about what they are and and what what need do they meet? So I'll be honest with you that I am less familiar with Talkspace than some of the other similar types of apps that have popped up in the last few years. Um, I appreciate on one hand that mental health support is then right at your fingertips. And perhaps because of the level of accessibility that it appears to have, I mean, it can be conducted via texting. So for the upcoming Generation Z, that really might be preferred. Um, However, uh, I would say that there's uh, some some boundary issues that I can see with it. Um, Some of these sites 
uh, say that you, you can really contact your therapist at any point in time. And for those who already have some boundary issues um, and needing that response quickly and having somebody readily available um, can kind of create some level of dependence, um, which is not typically the goal of therapy. Um, But with that said, you know, again, accessibility is really, really powerful for somebody who's going through some really, really tremendously difficult things. Um, I would also say that when it comes to uh, credentials of the therapist, it's really important to ensure that you're able to um, make sure that they are licensed. To my understanding, many of these sites really Uh, say, yes, we absolutely contract with licensed therapists. Um, And so I I do think that that's an important piece here because uh, so much of what you're sharing is vulnerable and to have somebody who's qualified on the other side to be providing that support is important. One of the last pieces I do want to say with that um, last piece there about the vulnerable information from what I've read about Talkspace in particular is that a lot of that vulnerable information, especially if it's via text, is actually saved. So that, I, I would say to me, is kind of an interesting HIPAA piece because um, when it comes to uh, the data, I guess you could say that that's how they view it, it very well might be contributing to research. Um, and I, I think that that can be a very powerful thing, but um, I think it's important to know that your vulnerable information, once shared with some of these corporations in that capacity, is now data for their use. That's a good point, Noreen, good point. Why did you want to become a therapist? In the last few minutes that we have, what? why did you want this particular profession, and have you found it rewarding? Hmm. <laughs> Yes. Um, I went through some really tremendously difficult circumstances growing up, and uh, my teen years were really rough. Um, So I'm personally very intimately familiar with grief, especially. Um, And I had two therapists growing up who had a really interesting impact on me. One I thought was extremely positive, and the other... Well, um, less so. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so both of them, though, I really have gratitude for because both of them, I think, helped me to know, hmm, this might be something that I would really like to do. Um, And if we go back to what we previously discussed um, with Kessler, um, he is the person who added that sixth stage of grief and that was finding meaning in one's experience right Mm -hmm. I think that that is one way that I was able to utilize the uh, background the experiences the things that I have been through personally in order to best uh, have empathy for those who are sitting in front of me and describing some some tremendously difficult situations um I really cannot even begin to express how dearly I love my career. Oh, isn't that <laughs> I fabulous? Love, I love working with clients. I, I love holding sacred, safe space for them to heal. Um, I love uh, my job even on the hardest days because yeah. the truth of it is is that, you know, when somebody first enters my office, a lot of times they're so nervous and they're scared and a lot of times, you know, they, they might just pour their hearts and souls out and they don't know. They just don't know if this is really going to work. 
But then down the road, I get to reflect to them those exact moments where um, now they've made a lot of changes. They've made progress. They're, they're in a whole different space than what they entered into therapy with. And I think that that is one of the most beautiful, beautiful journeys to watch. Mm. It's wonderful to hear you talk about your profession, Noran. It's wonderful to hear how much you love it. Um, and I'm sure that shines uh, through when you do therapy with your clients. So thank you so much for sharing that personal story with us. We've been talking today about how to choose a mental health professional and receive some very valuable information from Nora Ann. And Nora Ann Brooklocker has been our guest, as she is with all of our mental health um, podcasts. She's a local licensed marriage and family therapist with Sierra Sunrise Wellness. For a list of our podcasts, please go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcast. And please be safe and wear your mask.